Before we get started, we had some good helpers this morning. Dini and Melania were handing out some uh, cards for us. There's a this new study that came out saying that one in five people in the average congregation attend church alone. And to me, that means two things. First off, it means 20%. Uh, if we're average, I don't think we're quite average, but statistically, 20% of people feel alone. They come alone here to church, and we need to make a, a greater effort to, to be with them and, and make this uh, the family we claim it to be. But also, there's 80% of people out there who aren't coming because they are alone. They don't come because they don't have someone to sit with. So we have these nice little cards that we can hand out this week. Next week is, is Family Sunday. Uh, so I encourage you to, to go out and, and find someone to sit with you uh, as we worship and get together uh, next Sunday. Now, this week we are finishing our series on prayer. And this is, and we've seen it, it's such a rich topic because Jesus taught us so much about prayer. He, he told us so much about what we should do when we pray. And to his disciples, he said, Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive uh, our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. And that's a, an elegant and it's a, a powerful prayer. Many of us know it by heart. In fact, I've been trying to memorize it. That's why I had to look down. I've been trying to memorize it in the New King James Version. And it's very confusing because that's not how we hear this prayer. It takes out, I'm learning it in, in Luke chapter 11, and that uh, doesn't include that for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory part. Uh, and, and so it's confusing to try to learn it uh, in a different translation or hear it in some way we haven't before because this is such a, a King James kind of prayer. And uh, we normally hear it that way, and that may help our memory of it. We may recall it from childhood, but sometimes we have trouble understanding what we're actually saying when we pray this kind of prayer. I read one little girl, she said it this way, Our Father who are in heaven, hello, what be thy name? Another five-year-old girl, give us this day our daily bread and liberty and justice for all. <laughs> Kindergartner asked God to give us this day our jelly bread. I love that one. Then there's a little boy who prayed, forgive us our dentists as we also forgive our dentists. <laughs> One little boy finished his prayer this way, for thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen and FM. It took a little second, yeah. yeah children have a, a very simple view of prayer. They're not nearly a, as somber, uh, maybe quote-unquote religious as adults are. I read about a woman in Michigan who told of watching an elderly woman in front of her. She was uh, praying intensely. She had, she'd raised her hands uh, in prayer and praising right in front of her. Uh, this woman's three-year-old daughter stood in the pew and turned around. She gave her a high five. And all throughout February, we've looked at God's Word to try to find a biblical method for prayer. And, and so we're trying to get beyond just relying on what we want prayer to be, what we wish prayer was or, or what we hope it is, but 
actually looking to what God says it is. And in some cases, we've seen what God actually says prayer is defies our expectations. It goes above and beyond what we might have even hoped prayer would be. We've talked about prayers that have power. We've talked about prayers, uh, of course, that God doesn't answer in the way that we expect or want. We've talked about prayers of hallelujah, of praise. And last week, we talked about prayers of and for the unworthy. And now we're going to conclude by talking about this aspect of prayer that, that's perhaps the most difficult, maintaining this childlike faith when we pray. If you will, we're going to be talking about a prayer life where we're not afraid to give God high fives when we pray, when we talk to God in prayer, having that kind of, of childlike enthusiasm about prayer. And Paul described it this way, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God, Philippians 4, 6. And that requires a humble, no-holds-barred approach to prayer. And that's easy for kids to have. Kids have that naturally, but uh, it becomes harder and harder for the rest of that, for the rest of us. And we're going to come back to that in just a minute. But first, I want to focus on a couple of things that Jesus said about children. In Matthew 18, we know Jesus said, whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. In Mark, we read him saying, anyone who will not receive the kingdom of God like a little child will never enter it. In Mark 10, 15. You know, Jesus, he's not looking for religious form primarily. And it's not that form isn't important to God or, or to Christ, but Far more importantly, Jesus is looking for a childlike faith. And that is what impresses Jesus. And it's the same with our prayer life. God is not impressed with how fancy or, or flowery our prayers are. He's impressed when we trust like a child when we pray. When Jesus, he taught his disciples what we know now as the Lord's Prayer, it was because his disciples, they were worried about Four. And they recognized that Jesus uh, was turning what they understood in the past about religion upside down. This was something new that they hadn't seen before. And so they said to him, Lord, teach us to pray as John also taught his disciples in Luke 11. One. They were asking Jesus to give them a formula for successful prayer. And they had learned about prayer in the past. They certainly knew uh, a whole lot about the motions of religion before this. But now, they hear Jesus saying there's something new and better on the horizon, and so they want to know what does that mean for prayer. And back when we were kids, we probably learned some formula for prayer and how to address God and the, the, the type of language we should use in prayer. And that's why so often when we listen to public prayers, we hear the same phrases over and over again, guide, guard, uh, and direct us, or give the preacher uh, ready recollection of what he has prepared, or let this food nourish our bodies and bless the hands that prepared it, right? That's what we all pray when we go to Chick-fil-A. Um, now, why do we pray like that? Why do we hear those phrases over and over again? It's not because we found them in Scripture somewhere and we said this is the formula we're supposed to follow. It's because we've heard people we respect pray like that. And because we know this is important, we know prayer is important to God and it should be important to us, we don't want to mess it up. We, we get all anxious. We get all uptight. And so we look for something 
that seems to work for someone else, someone who we respect, and we stick to it. And the Bible shows us, though, prayer doesn't have to be that complicated. Because of Jesus, we can just talk to God, talk to him like a child would talk to their father, talk normally and talk with faith and expectation. And that's the difference between kids and adults. You know, children, they don't worry so much. They just, they go for it. They're, they're all in. And that is what impresses God. But somewhere along the line, and we, uh, we call it maturing, I don't know, sometimes we backslide a little bit, but somewhere along the line as we age, we become warriors. Matthew uh, records uh, this prayer that he teaches his disciples, and uh, he records it as being part of the Sermon on the Mount. And just a couple of passages down, uh, is that section that we quote often about Jesus saying, therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you, by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? You know, as adults, we worry a lot. But Jesus asks, why? Why can't you be more like children who just trust God? Jesus, when he taught his disciples to pray, he said, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, the crux of all of this is realizing who we're talking to. You know, I've heard people praying, they aren't talking to God, they're talking to me. They're talking to a group of people that they're with. They use Prayer is just a teaching tool, and God isn't truly being addressed. We are, and God gets to stand back and listen to whatever we have to say. But real prayer, that is about talking directly to God, not someone else. And prayer, it's not just talking to God, it's talking to my Father. That's what Jesus says we get to call God when we talk to him uh, with Christ uh, interceding on our behalf. Now, even the best of earthly fathers can fall short, but God, he is a father in a way that real fathers ought to be. Jesus talks about that kind of father when he said uh, in Matthew 7, which of you, if his son asks for bread, will give him a stone, or if he asks for a fish, will give him a snake. If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Matthew 7, 9 through 11. In other words, when you pray, you're not talking to some uncaring, uninterested, uh, indifferent deity. He's not going to give you a stone or a snake when you ask things of him. You are talking directly to a heavenly father who cares enough about you to give you good things. You are talking to a father who loved you so much that he gave his only begotten son so that when you believed in him, you would not perish but have everlasting life. And so, we pray to our Father, a Father who loves us and wants to give us good things. And we also pray, uh, and, and Jesus starts off this model prayer emphasizing this fact, we pray to a God who is almighty. He, he's the creator of the universe, the God who created all things just by speaking them into existence. And he has power beyond anything we can imagine. One of my favorite verses is Romans 8, 32. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? If he 
allowed his son to die for our sins, what else, why would we think that he would not give us anything else we needed? You know, the problem with adults versus kids is that we doubt that. We doubt that we can talk to someone who loves us, someone who cares for us, someone who's not indifferent to our troubles, and we doubt that we can talk to someone who actually has power to control our situation. We doubt that God will do anything. Children, they don't have that problem. You tell them that God hears their prayers, and they pray. You tell them God cares and God can do anything, they believe it. We need the faith of a child. And that's why we adults need to start by adoring God in the way that Jesus commanded. We need to remember that our God cares and that our God can do anything he wants to. And in this prayer, we see that there's this recognition of who God is. He's the almighty, loving God. We call him Father, uh, and we also say that his name is hallowed. And then in this prayer, there is confession. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. You know, what did Jesus teach us to confess? Uh, Everything. He wants us to confess our wants, our desires, our fears, our sins, our shortcomings, everything. God, he wants to hear it all. Sometimes we just focus on confession, meaning sin. But if we look here at this prayer that Jesus taught, it's so much more than that as well. It's like a child talking. They, they let it all pour out of them. They, they jump around in their story sometimes. It's hard to, to keep track of where they are because they just let it spill out. They tell you what's on their mind. In prayer, we confess the good and the bad and the ugly, even the darkest parts of our lives. God wants us to uh, tell him that so he can help us, so he can strengthen us uh, through that confession. That's why God told us if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness in 1 John 1 9. Confession, it solves our guilt. Confession makes it so that our shame is removed. And that's God's promise, a promise that we have to accept with a childlike kind of faith because all the world tells us there's no way to get rid of that shame. There's no way to get rid of that guilt. Once we've done it, it's on us forever. There's no coming back. God doesn't say uh, that's the case. God says, come to him, confess to him, uh, and he will make us righteous. That's God's promise. But we don't just confess sin, though. We don't just confess the ugly parts of our life. We confess everything. Philippians 4, 6, what did Paul say? Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. You know, God And sometimes I think this is another barrier for adults. We think God doesn't want to hear this. He doesn't want to hear from us. He doesn't want to hear about the day-to-day dramas of our life. But God has no problem with us presenting our requests. He's never had a problem with that. It isn't something that offends him when we uh, ask things of him. Jesus said, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you in Matthew 7, 7. Jesus taught his disciples that they should always pray, never give up in Luke 18, 1. In James 4, 2, we're told you want something, but don't get it. You kill and covet, but you cannot have what you want. You quarrel and fight. You do not have. Why? Because you do not ask of God. You know, just ask. Can God say no? Of course. We've seen that. God sometimes doesn't answer our prayers in the way that we want or expect, but uh, would any of us be worse off if God decided it was best to say no to the request we give him? Of course not. 
And so ask, ask big, swing for the wall in your prayers. If the answer would be too big for you to handle, God would uh, understand that. He, he wouldn't give you what you ask, but he will hear, and he will be honored by your faith, and he might just give you a part, if not all, when you ask. So ask. You're not going to offend him, but when it comes to prayer, a lot of times we don't ask. Why? Well, I think there's a couple of reasons. With the hindrance we have for adults, warriors that we are, that we don't go to God and we don't have the boldness that we see in children, the kind of faith that they have. First, there are people who believe God's going to do whatever he's going to do and there's nothing I'm going to say or do or, or want that's going to change that, so why bother? There's a, a preacher who runs surveys across the nation among Christians and, and, and congregations and found that 85% of people who go to church regularly, they've uh, repented of their sins, they've been baptized, they, they've uh, read the gospel, and yet 85% of people who pray in a private survey still check the box that said they didn't really expect God to answer. 85%. 85% of people who did everything else still said, I don't know if God is big enough to do this for me. I don't know if God is actually going to answer. 85%. That is huge that they don't expect to have their prayers answered. That is astounding. We, we pray uh, because that is what we expect. Why would we pray at all if we don't expect God to listen or care or answer? We, we lack that childlike faith that it takes to believe God cares for us enough to answer our prayers. Now, another problem many good Christians is they, they don't ask because we don't want to bother God. You know, we've got a lot of problems, and some of them, they aren't that important. They're minuscule when we look. Uh, you know, you turn on the news every day, and it seems like the, the world is collapsing around us. Why is God going to care about my conflict with my coworker? Why is God going to care uh, about my minor cold or health problems? Why is God going to care about these minute things when I must just be like a grain of sand on the beach to him? Why would he care? So why bother him? Uh, we don't we want to save our prayers for the big stuff, right? We're, we're banking them. Someday there is going to be something that we're going to need God's help for. We're not going to bother him with the rest. We're going to wait for the big stuff. We don't want to bother him. And someone once pointed out, though, you know, the Lord's Prayer, this model prayer that Jesus taught his disciples, it gets as specific as bread and debt. These aren't big things. This is what we eat each day, the debt that we're worried about. It doesn't get any more basic than that. And plus, if it's big enough to bother us, it's big enough for, uh, to bring to God. But now the question is, why? Why would people not believe God would care? Why would people believe that God wouldn't want us to bother him? Well, we don't believe because we miss the biggest, the most important part of prayer that so often we think is frivolous. We, we think it's just a, a side note that we add for fluff on top, but it's not really important to God. And that is this part of prayer at the end. Yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. It's that hallelujah part of prayer. It's that praise part of prayer. Remember in Matthew 18, Jesus said, whoever humbles himself like a child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. It's about humility. Children know God is bigger than they are. They have no illusions about that. And it's that praise part of prayer that so often we miss out on that we forget 
that of course God wants us, as we see it, to bother him. Of course God cares about us. If we just took a, a moment to realize how small we are compared to God and how great he is and how faithful he has been to us in the past, then we would realize, of course God wants us to talk to him. We need that thanksgiving in our prayer to understand all of the rest of it. It's not just fluff or, or ornamentation or, or King Jamesy language. It's praise from the heart for the Almighty God. If you miss out on that thanksgiving part of your prayers, there will be no joy in your praying. You know, to the Philippians, Paul wrote, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. You know, a lot of adults, when we come to God in prayer, we are anxious. You know why we're anxious? We're anxious because we don't see any way out of our problems. And we know we've come to God in our prayers because he is our last option. He is our last resort. And that's why we have all that anxiety, because we've waited to this moment when we can't see any way to fix things. And now it's up to God. You know, we can't think of anything else to do, so our, our prayers kind of go up in a, a Hail Mary kind of style. And we didn't pray to begin with because we weren't quite sure he would or he could or he, he wanted to do anything about our situation. And so there's no peace in our hearts. There's no power in our prayers. But Paul writes, don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. But he doesn't stop there. Paul goes on to say that when we do that, when we uh, flavor our prayers with thanksgiving, it says in verse 7, the peace of God which transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Did you catch that? It's if we focus in our prayers on thanksgiving, we will have a peace from God that does not make sense, that is not logical, that's not rational. It goes beyond anything we would expect, but it happens anyways. We get that from God, even though everything in the world, everything in our experience, everything in our mind says it shouldn't happen that way, God gives us peace. Why? Well, we think about it for a moment. When we flavor our prayers with thanksgiving, what are we thanking God for? Why, why are we praising him? What, what is he worthy of praise for? We're thanking him for what he's already done, what he's done in our lives and the lives of the people around us and the lives of the people we read about uh, in Scripture, over and over again, his faithfulness, his power, his love, his mercy for those people. And we're remembering the times that God did care and the times God did do something in our lives. We're calling to mind God's faithfulness. And Paul says, when we do that, we have the peace of God. In fact, right after this, Paul writes, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, and if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things, Philippians 4, 8 through 9. In other words, crowd your mind with God's faithfulness. Crowd your heart with the beauty God has given you. And you know what will happen when you do that? Paul writes, put it into practice and the peace of God will be with you. If you keep your mind focused on all of those good things, the true and noble and right and pure and lovely and admirable things, if you are focused on that, not only in your prayers, but we're praying without ceasing in our everyday thought, if we keep our minds focused on that praise and that thanksgiving, then the rest will fall into place. It will get his peace in his life and him in our lives, all in one package. And as a result, we will not be anxious about anything. Why? Because we have a God who can give us
peace. And all you have to do is remember what he's done in the past and then use that memory as a measuring stick for what can happen with him in your life in the future as a result of his powerful response to your prayers. And that's why Paul says we should rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice in Philippians 4.4. 4. You know, why should we rejoice that way? Well, because we have a God and a Father who is faithful. We have a Father who cares about us. We have a, a Father who can do whatever he chooses. And if someone uh, gives us a, a hard time in our lives, well, God have mercy on those people because they're not just picking on us. They are picking on the Heavenly Father who loves us so much that He has our backs through everything. We have that kind of faith because our Father is in heaven, and hallowed be His name. His kingdom is right here inside of us in this room, and His will will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, as Christians, we need to have the faith of a child and a God who is way bigger than we could ever be. You know, let me close with a story, and I, I might have said it before, but uh, it's worth repeating. There was a boy who uh, went with his mother to a grocery store, and the um, guy at the, the registry had this big bowl of, of candy that uh, kids could grab, and he said, go ahead and, and grab yourself a piece to the uh, young boy there. And he said, oh, okay. Um, and the, the mother's checking out, and she's ringing up her items and all this and that, and the cashier says, you, know, go, you, you really can. You, you can take a piece of candy uh, if you like. Fill up your hand, put it in your pocket, and go on your way. And she's still checking out, and the boy's kind of standing there looking up. And finally, uh, the, the cashier, he just grabs a handful and says, here, have it. Take it. He says, the boy grabs it, puts it in his pocket, fills both of them, and walks on his way. And the mother asks him, son, why didn't you just take the candy? What's wrong with you? And the boy says, well, I realized his hands were a lot bigger than mine. We've got to get to the point where we stop relying on ourselves, where we, stop, uh, where we start realizing that God's hands are a lot bigger than ours. You know, we can do some things in our lives. We're not helpless wandering through this world. And that sometimes gives us the illusion that we can do everything because we can figure out some stuff. We can go to our jobs every day. We can have a family. We can uh, live seemingly happy lives. Lots and lots of people do and without ever relying on Jesus. And so we get into this state of thinking, we've got it all under control, but we don't. God's hands are bigger than ours are. And that's why we need prayer. We need his hands to do what we can never do ourselves. Children, they have no problem believing that God is bigger than they are. And when they need something, they are perfectly willing to humbly and boldly go before God and ask for help. It's us adults that, that get this barrier built up over time where our anxiety and our worry and our doubt hold us back from having that childlike kind of faith in our prayers. But Jesus says, what? Do not worry, even about your life and body. God, he's going to take care of you. Paul says, don't be anxious, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God and the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. If you want that kind of peace that transcends all logic, all reason, all understanding, it starts 
by humbly giving your life over to Jesus, repenting of your sins, being immersed in water for the forgiveness of them. And if you understand that, there's no reason to wait. Come to the front of the room. Uh, let's talk about it as we stand and as we sing.